Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to our week in Washington this week. Um, we are recording in progress. So um, thanks again for joining us. Thanks again for all of the outreach that you've been doing uh, throughout the past couple of weeks. We have an agenda today um, that uh, what we're going to do is we're going to walk us through um, the events of the past five months. Um, not in detail, but just to remind you guys how quick and recent actions have been and um, and swift responses from you guys have created uh, real effects in Washington, D.C. So I want to talk about that. But then in addition, I think we would like to um, help uh, help to provide you the um, tools that we have available to you for your outreach. Um, and in addition, we have a few uh, surveys out that we're hoping to get information from you so that we can uh, provide uh, updates to Congress and to the GFOA general membership about the status of uh, the COVID-19 response. Because uh, here we are in Washington and everyone in the Beltway has gone home. Uh, there's no more discussions about uh, making a stimulus happen. There's no more discussions about um, implementing policies. Um, we are uh, trying to make sure that we create a platform and some energy and a buzz that helps them understand that action is needed in September. So really quickly, I just wanted to dive right in and uh, remind you all, uh, probably feels like just yesterday, um, but the real COVID uh, market equity bond uh, challenge that happened happened on March 18th to 23rd. So that was, for the record, five whole months ago. <laughs> so we, uh, it felt like yesterday to me, but we had a major, major challenge happening in the market in, um, in, uh, in March. And so that was one of the biggest challenges was communicating to Congress the urgency of action that we needed. Um, in March, on March 6th, uh, Congress passed the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. And so what that did was it gave money to um, corporations and businesses, for continuity, but also for continuity in, um, in, in, in funding the federal government to allow for them to have uh, response efforts the way that they did. On March 18th, uh, they passed the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, or the FFCRA. And if you recall, that was a that was a bill that spread sort of a wide social safety net around um, the workers and the employees in our community by providing them a two weeks paid sick leave provision uh, from the federal government. Now, um, importantly, in the FFCRA, as we all know, they provided a tax credit to the private corporations that offered the two weeks paid sick leave, um, but they did not offer the tax credit to state and local governments who also were subject to the mandate of providing that two weeks paid sick leave in FFCRA. And if you can believe it, um, on March 27th, so still in March, they passed the CARES Act. That was the $2.2 trillion act that established Paycheck Protection Plan, the Coronavirus Relief Fund. And in addition, they established the Municipal Liquidity Facility. Although they didn't realize what it looked like at that time, <laughs> that was all provided in the CARES Act. And 
if you can believe this, that's the only legislation that has passed in response to the stimulus. That is the only uh, legislation that has passed both houses and been signed by the president. We've had a lot more other um, activity, a lot more legislation that's passed in the meantime, just the House or just the Senate or just activity of the executive, but there have been no more legislative actions other than March 6th, March 18th, and March 27th. And so now I'm going to leave March now and we're going to head into April and Michael Thomas is going to take that. Thank you, Emily. So uh, as Emily was, was just saying there, March was, was the breakneck speed uh, legislative time where uh, I woke up every morning and checked a bunch of uh, really depressing COVID statistics and then saw more depressing information on the news about how legislation wasn't what it needed to be. But digressing, everything ought to happen there. And that was kind of the same story for April. April didn't have much going on until the very end, until I believe April 27th was when the uh, Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Enhancement Act uh, was signed into law. Uh, April was spent, uh, or at least much of April was spent, either you know watching Tiger King or hearing the uh, the reverb from uh, some leadership in the Senate to say, you know, we want to see what we've done and how it's going to, you know, its effect, uh, efficacy, and 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 try to sort of recalibrate down the road based on what kind of results we get. Um, you know, looking back, uh, it's always 2020, but we know now that a lot of that money you know, didn't get spent because of the FAQs, the guidelines, and whatnot. Uh, but that's what was going on with April. At the very end, again, April 27th, we had uh, that enhancement, that extension, expansion of the uh, Paycheck Protection Program and more money out for social and health services to expand research, uh, to expand testing efforts, uh, to uh, allow money or to add additional money to cover shortfalls for those providing health care. Uh, and just to kind of give a quick line by line of, of what was in that bill specifically, 340 or 320 billion, I'm sorry, uh, was given to the PPP just to extend and expand that once they very quickly ran out of money. Uh, 75 billion uh, went to public health and social services for emergency fund. That's the money that was going to cover those uh, shortfalls from healthcare providers and those overtime expenses for healthcare providers. Uh, 25 billion was slated for research on testing, uh, increasing capacity, um, general development, uh, that, that sort of thing for, for the, the sort of vaccine side or treatment side. Uh, and then a 2 billion was in there for the small business administration uh, for same deal, same kinds of loans meant to help with uh, the, uh, the response to COVID. Uh, this was, you know, that was kind of the tune after March. Uh, we watched in April and June, July, where we saw a lot of, a lot of hurry up and wait. Uh, you know, we saw Democrats and, and spent most of April kind of putting together what they would eventually put out uh, uh, later in, in the future months. Uh, but since then, we've had the leadership in the, in the Senate say the same thing. I want to see how things are going to pan out. Uh, obviously, we've left without anything getting done for the recess. Um, you know, it, it really does feel like a lifetime ago because it is just impossible to line by line all the little things that have happened that, um, you know, that you look back now and think. I wish they had written something a little bit different in that bill. Uh, again, uh, digressing, uh, go ahead and pass on over uh, away from April to uh, May to Maureen, who's going to keep our timeline running here. Thank you, Thomas. So in May, we saw the Federal Reserve establish the Municipal Liquidity Facility. And if you recall, this was an initiative put forth to assess, assist state and local governments that had significantly suffered from collapsed revenues due to the pandemic. 
The MLF would purchase up to $500 billion of credit in the form of short-term notes directly from states and eligible local governments facing this difficulty. And the idea was basically for the Fed to assist with the continued functioning of state and local governments through this pandemic and the difficulties that came from it. In May, GFOA also held its annual conference through an online format for the first time. We had the keynote panel where Senator Menendez spoke on the SMART Act. We had Congressman Stivers and Ruppersberger, who are chairs of the House Municipal Finance Caucus, express their commitment to advance refunding and other bond, in bond initiatives. We also had Senator Cassidy and Congressman Schneider, who were able to join us and provide their input on specific initiatives and their recommendations on assisting with advocacy for the needs of local municipalities. I'm going to give it back to Emily to talk about the month of June. Thank you. So uh, once May was done, once we had our annual conference in May, uh, June kind of turned right into a very active month from the House of Representatives. They came back um, in, in fits and starts because there was a lot of uh, rules around their coming back and the ability to act, um, come together in a committee structure and be close and be, um, and, and in fact, they were really deliberating the rules of the floor. So if you couldn't be there, could you vote by proxy? Could you vote away from where you were in order to preserve safety of, of CDC guidelines? Um, but uh, so what happened was there was a lot of conversation between the committees about um, what do we do now and where do we go from here? And in late May, early June, the HEROES Act was introduced by the House. So they introduced a bill that was a $3 trillion bill, um, $990 billion dedicated to state and local governments. And by that, I mean state and local governments as well as other public service providers. So a very um, thoughtful plan that included states, local governments, uh, political subdivisions, including clean, safe drinking water, wastewater, universities, airports, um, and, and, it, and the list goes on and on. They were very deliberate about thinking about distribution of that $990 billion. And the HEROES Act itself actually passed the floor of the House. So they figured out the rules, they figured out how to vote, um, and the HEROES Act did pass the House. So where we are right now, it is still in queue, waiting for the Senate to think about it, deliberate it, um, consider provisions in the HEROES Act that they then may contribute to the fourth stimulus package. Also in June, the House deliberated the Surface Transportation Reauthorization Act. If you all recall, that is the transportation bill. It was $494 billion and it was, it was practically a cornucopia of bond provisions. It included advanced refunding, it included BQ, it included raising the ceiling on private activity bonds, it included um, direct pay subsidy bonds, sort of a, another draft of Build America bonds. So they really did think about how to sequence um, uh, bond provisions into a broader transportation reauthorization uh, bill. What they were saying, in a way, through the policy that they were crafting, 
is that they realized transportation is not just highways. Transportation, I'm sorry, infrastructure means libraries, it means schools, it means airports, it means all of those things that we know um, needs federal support in order to uh, maintain a healthy and vibrant infrastructure system. And certainly um, it, it's more dire now than it ever has been. Um, importantly, so not only did they craft the surface transportation reauthorization, the $494 billion bill, but they passed it. So the House passed the HEROES Act, which is the $3.2 trillion stimulus bill, and they passed the transportation bill, which is $494 billion, including a lot of bond provisions in it. So the great thing is, is that those have been pushed out of the House and now they are sitting waiting in queue uh, for the Senate for when they come back to take action. So that's what's happened in June, and I want to pass it back over to Michael Thomas to talk about July. Thank you, Emily. So July is when we sort of began to see the response to the flurry of, of legislative uh, uh, action from the Democrats uh, uh, in the House and the urging from the Democrats still in the Senate. We saw those same uh, bond provisions, some of those same initiatives uh, kind of getting tweezed out of the, uh, the Democrats bills and, and being uh, made into their own amendments or side bills to get passed and stood alone. Uh, specifically, what I'm talking about is the uh, local act or the lifting our communities through advanced liquidity for infrastructure act. That is the return of advanced refunding. Uh, it, again, plucked straight out of the, the HEROES Act and, and sponsored by uh, Senator Wicker and Stabenow, uh, that's Mississippi and uh, Michigan, that is a bipartisan sponsorship. Uh, so we were, I remember we were encouraged at the time, it, it felt good to have uh, a member of Congress reach out to us a little bit and say, hey, we're interested in this, we're talking about this, you know, we know your people, they have what we need in terms of information, like, let's let's get going here. Uh, that. That was a um, it was a good injection of, of solid positive news. Uh, sadly, that kind of came right before uh, we we had the the wave of news from the Heels Act. Uh, you know, kind of uh, washed away a little bit of the the, the news inertia there. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Wicker also introduced America Infrastructure Bonds Act, uh, which is similar to the, uh, the Build America bonds, um, different ratios, different structure, but. Um, Either way, all of that kind of uh, got, got thrown under the media bus uh, or for attention-wise when the Heels Act came out, which was that trillion-dollar uh, Republican response and Senate response uh, to the $3 trillion HEROES Act that had been introduced about a month or so before. Now, outside of that sizable $2 trillion gap between the two bills, uh, there are some uh, quick points to go through. This was kind of, you know, building up to this, the, the, the conversation surrounded so many things. And this is this is part of why uh, early on in March and April, uh, a lot of public officials, a lot of leaders, they were, they were in a flurry because they knew that the more time passed, the closer they got towards the end of the year, uh, the more things they would have to consider as they were, you know, trying to do a lot of money, both uh, in terms of what kind of reaction or, or what is needed now because we would know more, and because politically the landscape is always changing in our modern world, but also an election year. The HEALS Act, $1 trillion, uh, did not come with a payroll tax cut. Uh, obviously, that has significance uh, because of the executive orders that came out last uh, uh, weekend, uh, but that was never something on the table for Senate Republicans, uh, so it's not look as though it was a surprise to anybody. Uh, the real surprise was the four executive orders that came out last Saturday. Uh, 
the funding for PPP is can, is extended through the the rest of the year, I think at least. Um, I do not have details on the expansion. I think it's just the same levels. There will be a UI extension or the unemployment insurance extension. Of course, that would be at a reduced level. Um, that's the uh, the outline or the scenario where you basically start with what we had before the additional $600. And then depending on the state circumstances, you kind of get pared down. Uh, we also know now that that's kind of been caught up in the discussion of you know, who's responsible for what. Uh, the administration uh, had wanted um, states to put in, I think it was 10% or something like that uh, to to garner to get the rest of the federal funding to make up that the rest of the unemployment insurance. Either, either way, it's, it's reduced funding uh, and there are some responsibilities that are put on states as a result of it. Uh, there is no additional state and local money. I think we all already knew that. Uh, and in place of that, they were going to add some additional flexibilities to the funds that are already there, uh, extending as far as covering uh, revenue shortfalls as a result of, of the, uh, the public health crisis. Uh, the bill would also come with more stimulus payments, uh, same as the ones that went out earlier in the year, the $1,200 ones, although the threshold has been uh, tweaked. Uh, I have read a couple times that there is a significant argument between the White House and uh, Senate leadership over that threshold for that $1,200 payment. They are going to keep the $1,200, it looks like, or they would in the HEALS Act, uh, but the original threshold of phasing out from AGIs of 75,000 up to, I think, 99,000, I think they want to lower that threshold as far down to like 45,000 as a hard cutoff, uh, but still keep that $1,200. That remains to be seen if the administration and leadership in the Senate change something there or come to some sort of agreement. Um, outside of that, uh, that, that was that was basically the highlights of, of the HEALS Act. You know, we know that uh, Congress didn't get anything done um, in terms of, of, of the relief bills before we went on recess to kind of continue that conversation and then help us uh, start to look forward. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and punch it back to is it Emily here to start talking about August. Uh, and then it's Marine. Sorry, sorry, I pronounced that incorrectly. It's pronounced <laughs> Marine, not Emily. It's okay. Thank you, Thomas. So here we are in August. We have the HEROES Act. We have the HEALS Act. And as you already know, what we don't have is an agreement. Negotiations didn't really go anywhere and everyone went to recess. In response to the stalled negotiations over the next stimulus, President Trump issued an executive order and three memorandums attempting to move things forward. I'm going to share my screen to just quickly run through those, but it is worth noting these are still changing. It is also worth mentioning that they are not all technically legally enforceable. So it will be interesting to see where this goes. I'm going to share my screen now. Okay. So we had the uh, an executive order, which was eviction protection, which calls on HHS secretary and the CDC prevention director to consider whether eviction ban the eviction ban is needed. It also calls on the treasury secretary and HED secretary to see if they could find additional funding to help renters. Then we had the three memorandums right here, um, payroll tax delay, which instructed treasury to halt payroll tax collection from workers who made less than $4,000 every two weeks. And um, deferral runs from September 1st to December 31st. Taxes would still be due at a later date. Um, then we had unemployment aid, which called to restart federal aid at $400 a week on top of what the state provided. We had um, states would need to provide 25% of additional payment and were encouraged to use the coronavirus relief fund. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, proposed to use funding from DHS disaster relief fund for federal share. And then we also had the student loan payment deferral, my personal favorite as a student. 
Anyway, leads all interest on student loans held by the federal government through December 31st and allows payment delays until December 31st. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. And with that refreshment, I'm going to throw it over to Michael Bellamino. Actually, Maureen, if you wanted to keep sharing your screen, because I'm going to have you pull up our August recess toolkit. So, well, how can I forget? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I probably feel like you need to take a breath, right? Because that was just a, a very quick and speedy rundown. Um, feels like yesterday, but of course, as the boots on the ground, you guys probably feel like uh, it feels like it's been years for you as far as where we were at the beginning of the year and where we are now. Um, you know, like I said, it may have felt like, you know, a sprint and a lot was going on, but, you know, we know more or less it's, it's going to be more like a marathon and we know the race isn't over yet. Uh, and that brings us to the August recess. And for you runners out there, this is the recess is like, you know, the, one of the last few water gel stations that they set up after miles 21 or 22, where, you know, you're tired, you want to stop running, but, you know, there's something inside saying, all right, well, you know, just hang in there because you can see the finish line. And that finish line for us is going to be the end of the year and more importantly, the end of the 116th session of Congress. And so, as you all know, once we get into 2021, we start all over again uh, on issues, especially that are not successfully enacted into legislation before December 31st. So, as we've alluded to before, the August recess, which it happens every year, some years it's just, some years it's shorter, some years uh, it can be longer, depending on how much Congress actually gets done in the months leading up to August. And some years are more critical than than others. And and you've already heard from the you know uh, my three colleagues about some of the issues that that we know still need to be figured out, and and, and we're still facing some pretty big issues. And September is not going to be friendly as it as it relates to the legislative calendar, because um, I think it's roughly 10 days on the legislative calendar for Congress because of of holidays, uh, religious holidays, as well as the Labor Day holiday. Um, so there's really not a lot of time for them to get some really big uh, issues figured out. So we'll probably see a few or one or two, some sort of uh, continuing resolution type legislation. So whether it's for appropriations or, the, or for the surface transportation bill. Um, so again, some really big issues that they need to figure out. But what we wanted to do at least is create an August toolkit. And if you went to the GFOA uh, homepage, you'll you'll find the link for this at the top, uh, that yellow banner that you see right there. And you just click on learn more. And it'll take you to a page, um, you know, depending where you all will be. So if you scroll down a little bit, uh, Maureen, so the ideas for outreach. So the intro paragraph gives you just a quick rundown of where we are on things. Uh, and depending on where you are, the, the outreach might look different for you. Typically, what, what happens usually this time of year is the August recess is the perfect time to invite a member out to a project site or a ribbon cutting ceremony or some sort of uh, county or city sponsored like fair or, or big picnic or something. But it's probably going to be different this time around. 
And so we tried to come up with a couple of different ideas, um, you know, whether it's if you have some sort of way to give a virtual tour of a project, or if even if you're just, you know, try to set up a call with the staff at the office who hopefully can try to connect you with the member, uh, depending on where they are and how their schedule is, or even just sending letters. So we just wanted to come up with a couple of different ideas. Uh, but again, use what's best uh, or makes the most sense for your situation, uh, obviously with, with depending on how things are gonna continue to pan out regarding the pandemic. Uh, we of course want you to be safe, but we certainly want you to, to make sure that you're reaching out to your members of Congress. And then as it relates to the GFY, GFOA priorities, if you scroll down a little bit, thanks, Marie. Um, we just wanted to focus on three. One, of course, is the additional fiscal relief. Uh, you know, as, as you've already heard, uh, there's, there's no deal. But right now, um, you know, when they're back home, they're probably going to hear from a lot of constituents. So they're probably, probably going to hear about, you know, the issues, especially as it relates to unemployment, um, the housing assistance, and, you know, the like. But this is, you know, exactly why it's the perfect time from that for them to hear from you all, their, you know, state and local partners, because no one can make that case better than you all and what your communities need, especially in light of the fact that we don't have the flexibility in the current funding that was provided earlier in the year, and we don't have additional funding. So um, to that, we'll say data, data, data. So whatever data that you can share, whether it's projections in particular to, to your jurisdiction, that's what you need to share with them and, and let them know what you're facing. Um, and I know uh, Emily and Maureen, you, you all have the call uh, every week with the CRF local government forum. I mean, even uh, helping them to understand this and, and, and I guess counter this misperception that they have that, oh, there's all this money still sitting out there. Well, it's not, we all know it's not. Uh, so even uh, trying to share your thoughts on that with them. And then advanced for funding is the other issue. Uh, you heard some discussion on that. If you had asked us in January what we thought uh, had a chance this year, I'm pretty sure one, none of us would have said that we would be in a pandemic. And two, um, you know, advanced for funding is certainly another one of those that we, you know, it, we, I wouldn't be certain that if uh, I would have said in January that this was an issue that had a chance, particularly because this is an issue that was in the, 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that, you know, the, the change was made there. Uh, but we're here to tell you, as you've heard already, you know, advanced funding does have a chance. We stressed before that uh, we have a chance because we have bicameral and bipartisan support on, on, on this issue. Um, and so as federal policymakers, if they really wanna think about ways to help jumpstart our economy, especially because of uh, the widespread impact that the pandemic has had, we all know infrastructure development is one way to help do that. And so because of, of how advanced funding helps to cut costs and helps free up capital, we want to make sure that, you know, that they hear from folks uh, are the boots on the ground on that. And then finally, you heard a little bit as well on uh, bank qualified or small issuer. This is another. Uh, uh, this is another issue that we do have some bipartisan support. We have a bill in the House, uh, but we still need to get uh, a bill in the Senate. So hammer your senators on this in particular. If you are a smaller issuer or if you're a state that has a, a, a lot more smaller issuers like rural uh, areas, uh, we've seen appetite for this, especially the last time the BQ limit was increased after the Great Recession. So we know there's definitely an appetite to help generate, uh, you know, activities that would help at least uh, in the near term uh, 
you know, try to jumpstart the sluggish economy at this point. Um, and then finally, you know, share, we just asked if you could just share any outreach you're doing. Let us know if we can help, uh, in particular by following up with staff here. Um, if you have direct communication with your senator or representative and they mention or they have positive feedback or they say something, um, let us know because we'll quote them on that with their staff here in D.C. And, and uh, especially if they express uh, support or if they say, uh, you know, that sounds like a really good idea. Uh, let me talk to my staff about that. Let us know and, and we'll be sure that we talk to their staff and, and check that they actually did that as well. So. Um, that was a lot, but hopefully, you know, check it out just on the, the homepage right now. And if there's anything else that you all need, and, and it does link to some of our other resource pages. Uh, if there's anything else that you all need or any assistance, again, feel free to let us know. And so with that, I will hand it back over to Emily. Thanks, Mike. So, uh, and 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 I hope that you, you find um, the August recess toolkit usable. And more importantly, we hope that you'll forward the August recess toolkit to your networks. You all are our standing committee, um, our leaders, and to the extent that you're able to sort of reverberate these tools, this toolkit um, to others in the community, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Of course, we share it with the public finance network, um, but any extent that we can make outreach is is great. Um, one thing that you may hear back from your senators just to finish up the year, um, they may say that we're not going to have any action until September. And the reason Mike mentioned this, the reason September is so important is, you know, there's 10 voting days, but also they have to vote on how to fund the federal government. So there is activity anticipated in September. Um, we're, we're getting emails from legislative offices right now asking, how bad is it? Tell us how bad it is. Tell us how bad it is in Wisconsin. Tell us how bad it is in Michigan. Tell us how bad it is in Florida, because we need to know. We need to make sure our, um, our representative understands. So the more that you can reach out to them, especially before September 30th, that's a deadline um, that they're all gonna have to meet. And then, as Mike mentioned too, you know, we have a pretty big national election coming up in November. So what happens if we do see a change in uh, the political party that represents any branch of the federal government? Well, you know, obviously we have a Democratic House right now, we have a Republican controlled Senate and we have a Republican executive. Um, should the executive change from Republican to Democrat, what we have is what's commonly referred to inside the Beltway as a lame duck session. So the president has not yet been instilled into Congress yet, but yet there's November and December still to go. Could there be legislative activity that happens November to December? There certainly could, but you would have an unmotivated executive to sign that legislation. So even more reason to try to get something done by September. Um, if the Senate changes, or if the House changes back to Republican, or in the Senate changes to Democratic, um, or, or, or to, to Democrat Party, um, what would change there? Well, certainly a lot of the priorities would change between the HEROES Act and the stimulus proposed by uh, the Senate. I think the most important thing that we can do, and we, we always do this as GFOA, is we remain above party politics 
and we try to make sure that they understand how it really is. Um, so we have two research projects right now being deployed. The first, as Mike mentioned earlier, is um, a survey for the Coronavirus Relief Fund Prime recipients. We have a link on our front page of our website. We've also dispatched a survey monkey to all 300 recipients of the Coronavirus Relief Fund. We want to make sure we have the data to reinforce to the House and the Senate how exactly the Coronavirus Relief Funds are being spent, if they are obligated, and how they are being used to, not if they're depleted, but how they're being used to energize or at least sustain through the pandemic. Okay, so that's one research project that's going on right now. Maureen is taking lead on that. Um, and we're trying to get as many Coronavirus Relief Fund prime recipients responding to that. There's a second survey that we're gonna be deploying over the next couple of weeks. Um, it is a fiscal perspective of COVID-19 impacts on our entire membership. Michael Bellarmino will be leading that research project and it's an overview of the challenges of decreasing revenues, increasing expenses, and delayed capital projects. We wanna have a better picture of how COVID-19 is challenging the public service providers across the country. So we are not stopping at cities and counties. We're hoping to be representative of water authorities, of public universities, of airports, of all of the great diversity in GFOA membership. We're hoping to rep be representative of that. So we have those two research projects going on right now. And last but not least, I did want to mention um, we are, um, as maybe you are as well, trying to take a breath of fresh air and to recalibrate and re-energize uh, while uh, our representatives, the House and the Senate, are back at home. Uh, we're going to take a two-week delay on our week in Washington, so we'll have a quick vacation for the various people in FLC to help to better um, calm our nerves and get ready for September. Um, we will be monitoring the executive orders. We'll also monitor any legislative progress during this time. And of course, we're gonna be monitoring the Coronavirus Relief Fund FAQs and guidance as they come out. So we'll be sure, of course, to dispatch that information out to you as soon as we can. And with the hopes that you dispatch it out to your uh, to your communities, to um, your networks as well. Um, so we are going to uh, be sure to follow up on that. And so with that, I wanted to turn it back to Maureen. I did see one question in the box. There was one question. So from what we've been told, most of Congress has been sent home until September. How will we implement payroll by September 1st to meet payroll deadlines? Will any information be sent out about this? Uh, yes, there will be information about that. Um, the, uh, the presidential memorandum designated September 1st as the implementation date for the delayed payroll tax. Two weeks ago, or, I'm sorry, last week, Secretary Mnuchin was quoted to say that it may be an optional delay of the payroll tax. And of course, that provides a real challenge or conundrum, I think, to states and governments 
uh, states and political subdivisions and other governments as a um, as a real challenge. So if it's optional, then communication to all employees about why you're opting out or why you're opting in has to occur at some point. The other thing I'd like to say is that the executive, while he has said that you know you need to start delaying your payroll tax starting September 1st, um, we have no guidance yet from the IRS on how to do so. There's a fair amount of conversations with systems platforms and ERP platforms on how to delay the uh, payroll tax. But so far, what we're hearing from Oracle and other large, uh, large systems that um, implementation by September 1st is going to be a bit of a challenge. So step one, I, Karen, I know that question was from you. Step one is we're going to be um, asking the president for, um, for any guidance whatsoever. And second of all, we're going to be leaning on the IRS to give us further guidance on what the president's intentions are here and to make sure that the rules are implementable. And then third of all, we're going to be leaning on our relationships with the private vendors to ensure that states, local governments and political subdivisions can comply if it does become uh, law. Now, what I would say too, is that there's going to be legal challenge because the Ways and Means Committee of the United States Congress has the power of the purse. They technically have the constitutional authority to tax. Um, that's why the president has not completely eliminated the payroll tax, that it's just a deferral. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of challenges from Congress between now and September 1st. Um, but we are certainly going to make sure that we monitor this for you guys and we will dispatch up any information that we receive in terms of guidance, implementation, or any kind of optionality that's built into the program. Do employees have the option not to defer their payroll taxes? Apparently, Mnuchin had said that as well. Um, actually, Mnuchin said that employers have the option. Um, he didn't mention the employees not having the option or having the option. So um, I think that that discussion is happening between and among the um, businesses as employers across the country. Bellarmina, I'm not sure if you had any further. No, the only thing I would add to that is I, I did see, I think at least it was the AICPA and maybe one other organization that did send a letter stressing that they wanted to make sure that uh, at least you know employees had some level of understanding of what this meant and particularly because of course it was going to be due at some later date but also uh, allowing an opportunity for the employees to have um, the, to actually proactively have to take a step to you know opt in or out so uh, but that's the only thing I would add on that what the last thing I would say we are working with our partners in the public finance community to try to better understand this. As you would imagine, the National Governors Association, the National Association of Comptrollers, Treasurers, and Auditors, all of these folks that represent states as employers, which is tens of thousands of employees, have the exact same questions as we do. We are also working closely or we're trying to gather information from IPMAHR, that's the International Public Management Association slash Human Resources. So they are, um, they are the go-to on these questions. So as we work together in a community to better understand what this is, we are going to be sharing information with you as soon as we hear it. Um, 
but yes, it is a very complex uh, situation that's been presented. And I think it's up to us to make sure that the administration allows us to have some kind of guidance or some kind of um, step forward on implementing. And we really appreciate the question and want to be responsive. So if you have any questions in the meantime, don't hesitate to email any of us. That wraps it up for questions. Thanks you all. Thanks everyone for your attention um, and for your outreach over uh, the August recess. We look forward to jumping right back in with both feet in the first Friday in September. And thanks everyone. Hope you have a great next couple of weeks.